Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes, In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 78 is entitled, The Titles of the Resurrected Christ, Part B. Christ is the perfect model. Known as the Great I Am because of his many titles, he holds the preeminent position in our lives. In the previous podcast, we discussed the descriptions of the resurrected Christ given by John the Revelator. In this podcast, we will discuss the titles given by John the Revelator that define the resurrected Christ. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Revelation 1, 5. Think about the term, the faithful witness. As our courts know too well, witnesses often give contrasting stories of the same event. A faithful witness is one who is precise, who speaks the absolute truth without variation. In the intercessory prayer, the Savior says to the Father, Thy word is truth. John is a witness of Christ. Christ is a witness of the Father. We also learn from the above that Christ was the first to be resurrected. He is chief of the kings of the earth, and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. As if that weren't enough, the titles continue. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 1.8 Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. In English, we would say A and Z. He was the firstborn. How can that be when he came in the meridian of time? To find the answer, we must go back before time, even back to the spirit world. We are all spirit children of our Father in heaven. Christ was the firstborn in the spirit world, making him the oldest of the children of God. Christ is the only begotten in the flesh, meaning that Heavenly Father, not Joseph, is the father of the Christ child. Thus we say it was a virgin birth. In addition, he is eternal. He was, he is, and he is to come, the God of the past, present, and future, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, and the God of the second coming. I am he that liveth and was dead, And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Revelation 1.18 Christ lived on the earth in the flesh. He died on the cross, and he was resurrected. Therefore, he is alive forevermore. Not less is the truth that he alone, not Satan, holds the keys to hell and death. Why does he have the keys to hell? They are not used to lock people in. Hell does not consist of bars and doors. Hell is a condition of torment in which those who refuse to repent on earth and call upon the redeeming blood of Christ must satisfy the law of justice by suffering for their own sins. Think, for example, of the celestial kingdom where God and Christ dwell. Imagine that as the center of the universe, the center of everything, the center of all of God's creations. Now imagine spiritual death in concomitant variation to the center where Christ dwells. The closer proximity you are to Christ, the greater your glory. The further away your habitation is from Christ, the lesser your glory. 
Consider the lake of fire, which is eternal hell, completely outside the glory of God. It has no keys. Its inhabitants have no escape. Think of it as eternal spiritual darkness. Those who are condemned forever to the lake of fire, such as Satan and the false prophet and others of the sons of perdition, live in an eternal blackness of spiritual darkness by choice. Now think of hell as a temporary condition. For example, we are all sinners. Christ alone was perfect. If it weren't for Christ, we would all suffer in hell forever. The difference between those who go to paradise and those who suffer in hell is repentance. Those who call upon the atoning blood of Christ are forgiven for their sins. Those who don't, though they aren't sons of perdition, must remain in hell until they pay for their own sins, simply because they refuse to allow Christ to cleanse them with his blood. However, even their sins are finite, and once the law of justice is satisfied, Christ in his tender mercies releases them from hell, resurrects them, and then judges them for their works. They are sanctified or saved from hell, but they are glorified according to their works. Some will receive a greater glory than others because their works are greater. In the judgment, Christ assigns them a kingdom of glory according to the quality of their works. In other words, they are saved. They are in heaven. In the resurrection, everybody is physically perfect. There will be no missing teeth, no warts, no baldness, no imperfections. The difference will be the brightness of their glory. Paul distinguished it this way. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Consider the sun to be the brightest, the moon the next, which is closest to the sun, and the stars the last, which are farthest away from the sun. Because of Christ, we do not have to pay for the sins of Adam or for any other individual. We must only pay for our own sins. When those who go to hell have paid the uttermost farthing, then Christ has the power to release them from hell, judge them for their works, and assign them a kingdom of glory. He has the keys of death, meaning that through his power he resurrected everyone from the dead before they appear before the final judgment bar of Christ. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation 4, 8-11 Three times the title holy is given, showing His absolute perfection. The Lord God Almighty is in reference to his omnipotence. Was and is and is to come defines his everlasting nature. Thou art worthy refers to the fact that he was the only one worthy enough to open the seals. But he is also worthy to receive glory and honor and power from the Father. We also learn that he is the creator of all things, past and present, suggesting, of course, that he will also be creator of all future things. Notice the superlatives. He is absolute in everything. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. The above, of course, refers to the earthly lineage of Christ. Though he came through the tribe of Judah, 
He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In other words, he is the king, though born from the root of David. He prevailed to open the book, meaning he successfully fulfilled his mission on earth assigned by the Father. That mission is described in the following famous verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3.16-17 The mission of our Savior and Redeemer is to give everlasting life to whomsoever believeth in him. The following titles illustrate just how he accomplished that mission. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Revelation 5, 5-6 Being sinless, as we were told earlier, thou art worthy, he satisfied the law of justice by sacrificing his perfect life for our sins. The seven horns and seven eyes represent omnipotence and omniscience. He paid the price for everyone who calls upon him. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Listen to the words of the new song. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Not only did Christ redeem us from our sins, if we are worthy, he will make us kings and priests. And hast made unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. Revelation 5, 9-10 Can you imagine reigning with Christ on the earth? But the blessings of the faithful never end. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Revelation 7.17 Christ is not only the faithful witness, but he is also the faithful judge. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, True and righteous are thy judgments. Revelation 16.7 The following is one of my favorite titles of the resurrected Lord. I, Jesus, have sent mine angels to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. Revelation 22.16 As with the organization of all nature, the morning star is meant to remind us of Christ. But surely the blessings promised the faithful trump everything. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruits every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, 
and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. Revelation 22, 1-5 Many nations have a tree of life symbol. Christians first meet the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. It contrasts with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2, 9 Adam and Eve were permitted to eat of the fruit of the tree of life, but they were forbidden to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Genesis 3, 3 Satan, of course, tempts them to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for only then can he bring sin into the world. It is ironic that he himself was the one most deceived. Had he left Adam and Eve alone, he would have thwarted all of God's purposes. The fall was necessary to Christ's plan. For one thing, without the fall, they could not have had children. For another, only by having a choice between good and evil could mankind have agency. And only through agency can we become like the gods. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. Genesis 3.22 When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for their protection, God no longer allowed them to eat of the fruit of the tree of life. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Genesis 3.24 Satan is cunning, but not wise. He is so dedicated to destroying the kingdom of God that he can never comprehend God. He can never do good. He does not know the mind of God. Therefore, he is constantly outmaneuvered. That is why he is doomed to failure. Success cannot be founded on self-destruction. He actually furthered the plan of God by bringing about the fall. Tempting Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was the greatest mistake of Lucifer's career. But the tree of life in the Garden of Eden is not the same tree of life written of by John. The tree of life in the Garden of Eden only extended mortal life. Adam and Eve and all of their posterity would have been condemned to hell forever if they had eaten of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden after the fall. Death is the only portal back into the kingdom of God. This world became a probationary state, allowing us to choose between God and Satan, good and evil, right and wrong, moral and immoral. Thus, we have agency. One of Satan's primary goals is to destroy agency. Yet, it was Satan that introduced agency into the world by giving us a choice between good and evil. Without physical death, there would have been no resurrection. Without the resurrection, there would have been no atonement, no mercy, no final judgment. We would remain under the power of Satan forever. It appears that Satan had not anticipated that God would not allow Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree of life after the fall. Getting Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree of life after they had eaten the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was the only way Satan could have won. Again, the wisdom of God prevails. 
Satan is his own worst enemy. Death releases us from the grip of Satan. The resurrection overcomes physical death. The resurrection allows Christ to give us a glorified body. If they had eaten of the tree of life after the fall, they would not have died physically, and they would never have had a glorified body. It would have been eternal hell. The tree of life in the Garden of Eden refers to physical life. The tree of life spoken of by John refers to immortality and eternal life with God. There will be no more curse. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Revelation 17:14. We learned earlier that God had ordained the faithful as kings and priests. Now he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and his saints live with him forever. The first Lord, referring to Christ, in the King James Bible is capitalized. The second Lord is lowercase, so it is the same with King of Kings, suggesting that no Lord and no King is higher than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All the faithful saints will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Revelation 19, 7-9 Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.